everyone. Welcome back to Let's Talk. My name is John, and I'm here again with David. And today we are going to be talking, well, a.k.a. Shamrock Balls. And today we're going to be talking about Lethal Weapon, the 1987 buddy comedy cop movie, that action movie that came out in 1987, directed by Richard Donner, who gave us Superman, mm-hmm. Scrooge, uh, so many other great movies. I love Richard Donner films. And for me, the best movie he ever gave us was Lethal Weapon. What do you think of this one, David? Absolutely love Lethal Weapon. I only seen this movie for the first time about five years ago. Really? I- I'd never seen it. Yeah, and I remember when I was a kid, like, we had a small VHS collection, and that was one of the VHSs we had. And I'm not sure if it was a 15 or an 18, but we weren't allowed to watch. I wasn't allowed, me and my younger brother weren't allowed to watch 15s or 18s. But even the cover, you know, it never appealed to me. It was a picture of Donny Glover and Mel Gibson, I think, stabbed with a gun. And so I had already seen it about five years ago and didn't actually realize till I watched it. To me, this is a Christmas movie. And if Die Hard could be a Christmas movie, you'd be gay, motherfucker. Then Lethal Weapon is a Christmas movie. And Lethal Weapon is my action Christmas movie. It's the movie I watch at the start of December. It kicks off Christmas season for me. Uh, Yeah, actually. I mean, I start the Christmas season off with Die Hard. I love Die Hard as well as Lethal Weapon. But I think Lethal Weapon is the better movie. And yeah, they're yeah. both Christmas movies in my opinion. So anyone who says that they're not, well, they're wrong. And plus, this is written by Shane Black. And all of his movies, he mm-hmm. loves to sneak Christmas in the background. Even Iron Man 3, he likes to sneak it in the background. Ashing through the snow. He just, I guess, yeah. really loves Christmas. <laughs> yeah, he, he must do. But when you think about it as well, you know, the Christmas, even though the Christmas theme in this isn't in your face, because it's not, uh, we say it's a Christmas movie, and, and there's this kind of train of thought out there that for a Christmas movie to be a Christmas movie, it has to be about Christmas. I don't necessarily think think that's the case. I mean, another movie I love watching around Christmas time is Batman Returns, and it's not really about Christmas, but it's sad at Christmas, and that whole kind of Christmas theme uh, lends to the overall plot and story of, of the movie, and I think it's the same with Lethal Weapon, because what you actually have here, you have a guy who is very much depressed, and Mar- Martin Riggs, who wants to end his own life, film, as we know, this time of year, can be very uh, sad for a lot of people who maybe don't have family members, or maybe have a bad memory around this time of year, maybe they've lost, lost loved ones or whatever, and especially when you're on your own at Christmas, it, it can be a hard time for people. So um, I think that whole Christmas theme in the background of this movie lends to that character. And then on the flip side of that, you have um, Murda, who is uh, a family man. He's got, you know, he's got a wife, he's got three children, and they're uh, very much looking forward to the Christmas season. And life's going good for him. On the other side of the coin, for Murda is going, or sorry, for Riggs is going bad. And it's when these two guys, they come together. And I think that that's what makes the movie. So the fact that it's set in the backdrop of Christmas, I think it is also part of the, the bonding process for these two characters. When the likes of uh, Murda invites Riggs over for, for dinner or for Christmas dinner. Um, I'm not sure. Does he invite him over for Thanksgiving at the start there? It was just a normal dinner. At first, like, he gets invited just to a regular dinner, which is always funny to me because they're always knocking Murtaugh's wife's cooking. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. apparently horrible. <laughs> and I just thought to yeah. myself, like, I think you guys need to find an alternative. I couldn't live with bad food like that all the time. <laughs> Maybe one of them yeah. trying to cook. I don't know. One of the kids. I also like just love like that little dynamic that they end up starting in the beginning. Like they are very different people. Like that. This was a mm-hmm. became a trope where they come from two different lives. Like he's living in an RV on the beach with his dog. He's really depressed since the death of his wife. And one thing about the mental illness, they're just blowing off the uh, the psychiatrist who works at the police station. Oh, yes. I know who you're talking about. That's the girl. She she was in a lot of uh, Richard Donner movies. She was in The Goonies. Um, she played she, the mom in The Goonies. Yeah, she is. And she's also in... Um, What's it called? She's also in uh, Die Hard. She's up. Uh, she's in Die Hard as well. She's Richard Donner's Straight, wife. so she is. She's yes, Richard, Richard Donner's wife. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> but they never take her seriously. Like, she's genuinely worried about this guy. And they're all just, like, blowing her off. Like, ah, oh, he's faking it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and do you know what? There's moments in this movie as well. As much as I... What I actually love about this movie is the interactions between Riggs and Murda and the situations they're in and the way they play for each other. And there's an awful lot of comedy in it. But at the same time, too, there's all, an awful lot of darkness. There's an awful lot of serious moments in this movie. And dramatic moments too which i think that people can relate to as well which is going back to say Riggs and some of the stuff he's going through with um the death of his wife um and then there of course then there's murder with his family his family and his home life and you can relate that, that as well 
No, they do combine a lot of different elements because, like, one thing that's in the backdrop of this, too, that, you know, it's kind of, you know, they talk about it, but it's kind of right there the entire movie is the Vietnam War and how <laughs> Mel Gibson's character, Martin Riggs, he was a special ops or a Green Beret or something like that, really special mm-hmm. forces. Then it seems like Murtaugh was more like a like a, a grunt in the war. Like he wasn't like somebody had like the four. He just seems like a regular guy. And like, you see that in his cop too. Like, you know, he carries around uh, the six shooter where, you know, Riggs has that much nicer. Looking yeah. Gun. Clearly a much better shot. I love that scene where, you know, he's <laughs> so proud of himself. He's like, he twists his neck and then he fires the gun. off. And Riggs just, just sends it all the way down. He's whistling. He doesn't even care. He shoots a smiley face around it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, he's not even trying, you know, he can whistle while he's doing it as well. Yeah, it means nothing to him. He's like, I could hit. He's like, there's only like two or three people in the world that could shoot a gun like me, which is strange that he became a cop. Uh, but you know, that's a small <laughs> thing. <laughs> the one thing about Riggs is that how you know the suicide stuff and that scene is one of the best acted scenes I've ever seen in film. The way they shot that was. They set it up, and then they actually didn't shoot the scene for another four weeks because they had to wait until uh, Mel Gibson was able to do it to get in the right emotional state of mind. Right. And they just had the set all set up for when they did it, and then finally he was able to do it. And that feels just so real. Like You feel like that he could pull the trigger at any moment. It, the darkness and the crying, it's rough. That's a rough scene. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's it's uh, those first few scenes of that movie really set the tone for it. I mean, it opens up with the Christmas song. It's the right time to rock the night away. And uh, a girl in a, in a hotel room, you know, half naked girl, and you're and you hear the music at all, you know, and it's uh, you're wondering where it's going, and then you see her doing drugs, and she stands on to the the balcony, and then I think if you were to watch that for the first time, you know. You'd be thinking, about, well, you know, hope she doesn't fall here, and or, and then you realise she's actually jumping, and she jumps. And um, I remember when I first watched this, when she landed on the car, I was like, the way she lands in the car, I was like, I've seen that somewhere. And I remembered where I seen it, and I'd read a story about this. It was called the Beautiful Suicide, I think, and it was a, of a, a woman in the early, it was the 1920s or 1930s or even the 1940s, I can't remember, in New York, who actually jumped off. I think it was the Empire State Building and landed on a car and she landed the exact same way that you see in this movie so that first opening scene is inspired by that actual suicide you can you can look it up there's photographs of that online i did not know that at all i thought i was thinking of something totally like a very similar scene in a different movie but no i didn't know that i was inspired by that at yeah. all. that's fascinating yeah the way they have her laid out in the car is exactly the way this woman who killed herself back in the early 1900s fell on the car and that's where they got their inspiration from but then you go from that as you say into uh Riggs's depression and putting the gun on his mouth and um right away I mean those opening scenes are, are very very dark yeah and yeah because they keep them separate you know they're very juxtaposed with each other in the sense that then we go into Murtai, we see his wife and kids and like he's having a regular morning it's weird that they visited the bathtub, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you said regular morning, I was going to say, you know, is this a regular thing that the, they burst in him in the, in the bath? I know that it was his birthday, but uh, <laughs> I think that's a bit weird. It's very weird. I mean, that is something that has that I never grew up around. I've never even like my house. I think we like as family, like like three or four years old. Like you don't take baths anymore, and I can never imagine my father taking a bath and then the family coming in. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. No, I, definitely not. If it was my dad, we'd done that. We'd soon be getting maybe a clipper in the air and thrown out of the bathroom fairly quick. But. Um, that's what I was going to say earlier. You know, um, I think he's turning. He's, he's turned fifty, mm-hmm. and um, I, I think that when um, Donny Glover filmed this, he was he was forty forty two or forty one or forty two when yeah. he filmed this. But he's playing a fifty year old, and I'm forty two now, and he's saying he's too old for this shit, and I'm starting to feel like that myself. Yeah, I mean, I get that, though. I mean, but the thing that's so strange about that, yeah, they age him up. And then Riggs, who's, uh, you know, I think he's supposed to be in his early 30s. Mel Gibson is 31, I think, at the time of this movie. And he looks very aged. I guess it's all the smoking and drinking because that's the same age as me. He's 31. And that <laughs> makes me a little bit worried. But then the thing that's weird is that the guy, the girl who plays his daughter in the movie is 27 <laughs> years old. <laughs> so She's 27? 
She, the oldest daughter that's is 27, the one that's kind of hitting yeah. on rigs and stuff like that. But she's play, supposed to be playing a much younger person, but she's supposed to be playing maybe a teenager, maybe 17, 18 years of age. Would I be right in saying that? And so, of course, she is. She's hit it on rigs when he comes into the house. And uh, at the end, you see uh, uh, Murder warning him off, off his daughter. Yeah. But in real life, they're only three years apart, so it's like it'd be fine. But because I always thought she looked um, a little bit older than she is, and I always was confused because they never say directly that she's like, oh, I guess she's in high school. And then in the next movie, you know, she makes the commercial with the rubbers. So you know, That's right. Yeah. Bit, yeah. She gets a little bit older by then. But in this movie, you know, she plays a really big part in the film because as the movie is progressing, yeah. she gets kidnapped by uh, Mr. Joshua, who I love, played by Gary Busey in this movie. Damn it, it's rigged. Yeah, this was Gary Busey before he went crazy. Yeah, I'll be honest, I think it could be potentially his best performance that I've seen him in. I've seen him in Silver, Silver Bullet. I've seen him in Predator 2. Um, Trying to think of what else I've seen Gary Busey in, but I mean, I just think he gives a really good, solid performance in this. Um, I think he's always kind of had a bit of a creepiness effect factor about him, but though I think he's very good in this as the henchman, and it's funny because you mentioned uh, Lethal Weapon Two. There, there's a lot of people that love Lethal Weapon Two more than Lethal Weapon One. Um, I don't subscribe to that. I don't. People think that Two's better than One. I, I don't subscribe to that either. But the funny thing is. In the sequel, I think the main bad guy is more memorable than the main bad guy in the first one. However, the henchman in the second one isn't as memorable as Mr. Joshua. And um, I say there are a couple of favorite scenes in the movie. The first one is when they go meet Mr. Joshua when they've kidnapped Murder's daughter and he starts taking them out with a sniper rifle. That's an absolutely brilliant scene. But the next favorite scene is when Riggs offers Joshua a shot at the title. What do you say, Jack? Would you like a shot at the title? Oh, my God. I'm so <laughs> glad you brought that up. You, because you know what's so funny about that? Is that my father used to make used to say that to like me and my brother. Like, if we were like, you know, he's like, when you get old enough, if you ever want a shot at the title, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so like, like I love this movie. I, I honestly do really adore this movie. It's one of them films that, as I say, it's a tradition night for me. When I hit December, this is the movie for me. Kick Christmas off. I don't get bored of this film. And when I watch it now, that's just so bizarre. It's just kind of like they've caught Joshua and I, rather than maybe shoot him in the back of the head when he's in your house racking your house you know <laughs> it's almost like Murda and Riggs have, have concocted this you know because Riggs didn't make the to the torture he was giving him he's probably thought you know what I don't even want to shoot him in the head I don't want to shoot him through the chest I want to beat him to death or I want to give him a good kicking and it, it, he goes with a gun and says you know outside and as soon as he gets outside there's uh, Riggs starting there and he's like what do you say you want a shot at the table? <laughs> so weird it's so weird and what makes it strange is that it's just him and there's like 30 other cops outside and then you got Murtaugh like hey let it go like he's like holding everyone back <laughs> like, I take responsibility I'm like Sergeant Riggs arrest I'll take full responsibility this son of a bitch just killed two of my men this is just... violating so much protocols you're just gonna let these guys fight <laughs> like on your front lawn fire hydrant yeah. going off helicopter shot shooting down at him and then he actually, you know what? He lets him go, actually. He, like, lets him arrest him. But, of course, classic yeah. 1980s fashion, he gets back up, and then the two of them shoot him right in the center of the head together, like, you know, because now they're partners. <laughs> Both at the same time. Yep, yeah. exactly. But, but but the thing is, as well, is that, you know, look, as much as you want to see Mel Gibson beat Gary Busey, right, or wherever Riggs beat Joshua, it's not very fair, is it? Because when uh, Joshua's starting to get the better of Riggs, uh, you hear Murder saying, let me take him. Yeah. Let me take him. I mean, that's, that's not very fair, is it? No. No. And he wanted him dead, Murtaugh, at that point. Murtaugh, through the entire movie, is like, oh, you know, yeah. like, don't shoot him. He even gets cocky at one point and is like, you know, you see, I shot him in the leg. Now we can interview him. Of course, that almost ended up costing them, too. So maybe Murtaugh's coming around on the, you know what, maybe we should put them down because they keep getting back up and trying to kill me. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the start, I wouldn't say it's kind of like the old cliche of, good cop, bad cop, or, you know, usually you see, I don't know if it's happened before Lethal Weapon, or after, where you see, there's always a cop, he's, he goes by the book, you know, everything's by the book, you know, you gotta you gotta do it by the book, don't go outside them, you know, those days. 
Um, and then you got then the other guys usually like a dirty Harry type yeah. who just does what he has to do to get the job done. And I don't really think that murder's kind of like that. There is obviously shades of that where, where he's saying like a live suspect's better than a dead one. You know, we can ask him questions. We can find out what's going on. We can find out who else is involved. You know, to to, to follow the trail. So I think what he's saying to him is, you know, don't be killing them. We need them alive. We need to question them. But I think once they get so close to murder's family, and there's that scene again. Talk about dark scenes in this movie. And it's I watched the second one in the summer, so I can't really remember. But to me, this is the darkest of the four. And it, there's that scene where they're in the kitchen. By this stage, murder's just sub- subscribing to whatever Riggs is saying, you know, and Riggs tell him, you know, you got to take your shot. You got to take them out. This isn't going to be nice. And I think they then arrange that whole um, scene in, in, in the desert. You know, they, they, they arrange for that to happen because if they're in the middle of nowhere, then maybe Riggs is able to hide out, lie low, take a few of them out. There's no civilians. There's, there's nowhere they can run either. You know, they're out in the open space. He can take them out and then he can lie low and hide, which I don't understand why they didn't just shoot him. When yeah. your mom comes up behind him, yeah, he easily could have. He's like, ah, oh, Riggs is here, and like they kidnap him. And the thing is, it's like Mr. Joshua points out to him when they bring him back there. He's like, got Murtaugh, we don't need you, but I believe in being thorough. I guess that's the reasoning is that he just wants to get whatever information he can out of him. But you just told them yeah. also that you don't need him, so you could have just like put that to rest. You could have. The whole thing would be over. If Riggs doesn't come bursting through the door and saving Murtaugh. You know, Murtaugh's dead. That's it. Like, they're both gone. But you need Riggs there. Yeah. And that was the original plan. It was like, we've killed Riggs. Let's get Murtaugh. Torture him and see what he knows. Mm-hmm. And then we can deal with him. So, um, that bit to me in the movie is just a bit strange. But listen, if they had killed him, then you would not have, uh, you know, a, a, a brilliant end. You, would, you know, that would have been the end of Riggs. So, you have to let these things go, don't you? Yeah, I mean, it's a 1980s action movie. If you start poking holes, you'll end up with Swiss cheese with this one. Because, I mean... There's stuff everywhere. Like, there's just so many things that they break protocol on. Like, right early in the movie, with the suicide scene, not, like, him, like, when he's trying to talk the guy off the roof. Yeah. <laughs> and Murtaugh yeah. sends him up there, and he knows he made a mistake. He's like, no. No, don't go. Not out on the ledge. Uh. And then, like, they're just talking, and Murtaugh's, I mean, Riggs is trying to get across him. Like, no, I understand that he puts the handcuffs on him. And then he's the one who jumps off with them into the big giant yeah. freaking inflatable bag. And I love how he says them. You know, he's almost cringy, to be honest. I find Riggs being cringy, but he's doing the right thing. He's saying to him, like, you know, oh, come on, let me, do you want a cigarette? Let me get out there. Look, don't be doing this. My boss is down there. He's watching me. Make it look as if I'm trying to save you. You know, just to get closer to him. It's very funny, but it's afterwards they think he's trying to get the Sego pens in. I think at that stage, Murder believes that too, because that's the talk in the office. Where's your man? He's trying to get the Sego pants in. And I think he believes it too. And then when he when he brings him into the empty store after he jumps off the roof and he says to him, you're not really crazy. Do you really want to kill yourself? And then when he does pull the gun out with the bullet gun, he says, I'm going to use this bullet, blah, blah, blah. He does say, he realizes then. He's, he's like, you are crazy. You're not trying to draw a psycho pigeon. You really are crazy. Yeah, he's like, ah, and that's why he like starts to get even scared of Murtaugh. Like, when they're driving in the car before he uses the world's first cell phone, he's like, why are you even talking to me? You're talking to a dead man. Like, he's, like, so shook by him being there with him because he is, yeah. he's a lethal weapon. He's a loose cannon, which is actually yeah. one of my favorite lines in the movie is when they're first, like, getting to know each other. And Murtaugh's explaining to him, he's like, he can't understand why uh, he would get teamed up at Riggs. And Murtaugh's like... You know, I know why. It's because God hates me. And then Riggs just says, Hate him back. It works for me. <laughs> and then, of course, I have to bring it up just because it's something that I just always wish I, I could have done is uh, his hair. That mullet is unbelievable. <sighs> I, mean, I just can't take my, my eyes off it when I'm, when I'm watching it. You know, I, I, I'm the same, John. It hurts. Very envious. It hurts me pretty bad, but it's got to hurt you worse. Oh, yeah, oh, it certainly does. I'm so envious, I just can't take my eyes off it. You know, when it, when it, that hair is unbelievable. It's got, like, such a, like, <laughs> thickness to it, Nick. I, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> and only he yeah. can pull that off. Oh, yeah, listen, to see if I even had that hair, and I done that, people, <laughs> people would be saying, would you, would you get yourself a comb? Oh, you know, yeah, would, you, no. would you have a haircut? <laughs> that works on three people. I mean, everyone else, it's like, you're serious with that, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. One of them's Mel Gibson. Yeah, only Mel Gibson. Because he's got that rugged look to him, and then he's got those 
big beady eyes that like pop out of his head. That's because he pulls like that crazy look to him, like better than anything. Yeah. One actually small thing is is actually with draw. I don't know how this works. I don't know how strong bulletproof vests are, but the one thing that always like surprises me is when he gets shot through the window mm-hmm. and he just gets back up because of the bulletproof vest. I'm like, does that really protect you that much? I don't know much about bulletproof vests. Well, listen, I couldn't tell you myself. Uh, thankfully, I've never had to wear one, or I've never had <laughs> been shot at. Um, so, uh, no doubt is that obviously it hit somebody goes through the window. I would imagine there'd be an awful lot of bruising there. Yeah, and he gets right back up, and he's just like he's breathing heavy, and he's all shook up. That's when you see his like eyes going crazy. But yeah, like, I feel like he would want to take a couple days off. I know they got a job to do, but like, that's uh, yeah, definitely messed up from that. He does say to murder though. Um, why don't we just uh, go go off for a few days, head out, we'll go to Detroit. Go to Detroit. And <laughs> I, 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 uh, I heard a thing, I can't remember where I heard it, but I said, was that a, a reference to Beverly Hills Cop? Because he went from Detroit to Beverly Hills, and then they're going to go from Beverly Hills to Detroit. Oh, you that's probably right. Holy shit, because that came out three years before this. That was 84, and this is 87. Yeah, and he said, come on, we'll, lie, we'll go to Detroit. Uh-huh. I mean, this was like... That's funny because I guess technically that's a buddy cop movie, but this like started like a really big buddy cop trend. I mean, we had Running Scared, which I really like, and I think that might have been the same year. I know you're a big fan of Stakeout, right? Yeah, well, that's that's what I was going to say. For years, Stakeout was like my favorite buddy cop movie. Um, the way, way I think about buddy cop movies as well, John, you said about uh, Beverly Hills, Hills Cop. Me personally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't class Beverly Hills Cop as a buddy cop movie because to me, it's two guys. You know, that, 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 exactly. Whereas Beverly Hills Cop, actually, Foley to me is more of a rogue. And the two guys is, uh, oh, I can't even remember their names at the minute. The other two guys, they call them. Yeah, they're Judge Reinhold is one. And then I think it's John something is the other guy's name. Yeah, I can't even remember their character names at the minute. But the, the image, they're the, they're the two body cops. But it's more, it's more about Axel Foley. And then they're like a sidekicks. Whereas this year, to me, yes, um, was one of the first body cop movies. For years, Stakeout was my favorite until I actually seen Lethal Weapon, and now really? Lethal Weapon's my favorite. But I, but I still really love Stakeout. Yeah, I really love Stakeout. Also, um, I also really like Running Scared with Billy Crystal and uh, Gregory Hines. I always liked that one because early in the movie, they go and they move to Florida and they o- try to open a business and it fails. I just I think that's the funniest thing. And then they had to come back and be cops again. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I haven't actually seen that movie. Oh, uh, it's a good one. It's just it's it feels like Lethal Weapon that it should have started a franchise, but they never did it again. It's weird. Yeah, Stakeout. There's two of them, right? If I remember correctly, there's, there's two of them. There's another Stakeout, and you know what? I think another Stakeout was a flop, and I think it got critically panned as well. But I actually really like another Stakeout. It's um, it's not as good as the first, but it it's, ends up with Richard Dreyfuss and Emilio Estevez staking out. Uh, they have to travel. I can't remember where it is. They have to travel somewhere. And they have to stake out this other house, but they've got to pretend to be a family. And Rosie O'Donnell is in it, and she's married to Richard, supposedly married to Richard Dreyfus, and Emilio Estevez is their son. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of like, oh, but Rosie O'Donnell is his second wife, and uh, she's not Emilio Estevez's mother, and all this. And I think it's got some really good moments in it. And your man's in it. Uh, Miguel Ferrer plays the bad guy. He plays the headman. I but I, I really enjoy the second one. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen that one in a long time. I just rewatched the first Stakeout last year because I remember you telling me that you were such a fan of it, and I hadn't seen it in a while. And I was like, I gotta watch Stakeout yeah. again. And the first one's great, but I gotta revisit the second one. I haven't revisited that one in a while. I mean, this movie ended up with three sequels too, and I, I think they're all good. I agree yeah. with you that Lethal Weapon Two is not better than the first one. I like Lethal Weapon Two a lot, and you're hundred percent right. You know, the main villain. I never think of the main villain. For Lethal Weapon. I think of Mr. Joshua. I don't think in the second one, I don't ever think of the henchman. I think of the freaking guy with diplomatic immunity running around. Yeah, the South African. Yeah. Doing whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, where is it? License revoked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, license revoked. But um I, I've I actually bought the box set then because I, I think I caught Lethal Weapon on TV one night. Um, that's when I first seen it, and then I don't know if I've seen the second one on TV. So to say that I bought the box set, I got it for cheap a few Christmases ago, uh, Blu-ray one? set. But I, I was the same. I found that I enjoyed every single one of them. The only one, the, the only thing is, I now I only watched the third one once, and I've only watched the fourth one once. But I actually 
think that the fourth one's better than the third one. The third one, to me, is my least favorite out of, out of the uh, out of the four. I agree with that. I agree with. I think one and two are way better than three and four, in my opinion. Definitely, like, and then it kind of like drops off. The third one, I have some certain memories that I really like about it, like the hockey scene, and um, you know, he walks into the one room where he's like, "Hi, Bobby," and then he shoots him, and he's like, "Bye, Bobby," which is like kind of right out of Young Guns too. Yeah. But in four, I like, yeah. I, I like them bringing in Chris Rock, and I, I, I actually, and Jet Li. I think that's Jet Li's first U.S. movie yeah. we ever made i i think that one works i know that people like oh they got older yeah but i still think it's a fun movie well, the thing that i can remember and i need to go back and revisit these again i've been meaning to do it for a way because uh, i've watched the second one a few times watched the first one every year for the last five years or whatever so i need to go back and watch the third and fourth what i remember about the third one was that it just got a wee bit too comedic if i can remember correctly a wee bit too formulatic for, formulatic would that be your right word? That's the best way to describe it. You know, they kind of bring in, uh, what's her name? Uh, Re- Renee Russo to be like the love interest to, to Martin Riggs. And yeah. Like, and then like, yeah, I get that. I guess they wanted to go that route. So I see exactly what you're saying. And, you know, we bring back Joe Pesci, which is a lot of fun. I love Joe Pesci in those movies. But yeah, it definitely does feel formulaic. And then in the fourth one, I feel like they kind of took a little bit more risk. You took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what I was thinking was that when they went to do the fourth one, they took a few more risks, I think. Maybe because it was the fourth one, and maybe because they did want to just do something a wee bit different. But I do, like you say, remember enjoying the fourth one more than the third. So I need to go back and revisit the third and fourth one again and then, and then see what I think. Yeah, I, those ones I go back to the least. I always watch one and two every year, and then I watch three yeah. and four like every few years. The third one, yeah. it, it, it it literally just opens so ridiculous. Like the the second one has a little bit of cheesy stuff, but the third one they open in this big chase on a on the highway, and it just makes like no sense. Like that's how you open the movie. It's already a huge stunt, and it's like just becoming like more of those you know '90s action movies. Whereas this one, yeah, it's like. You know, if there's action, but it's to support the good story that's around it. Exactly. And like you were just saying there, say it's been a while since I've seen the other ones, but it becomes more of a generic 90s action movie where it's just based on the action, you know, and the, and the story and the character is secondary. And I think this one here is the action serves the character and the story, you know. And one of the scenes I want to bring up before um, I forget is actually Tom Atkins. Uh, when he gets shot from the helicopter when he's holding the eggnog. Yeah, that is <laughs> Isn't that so funny? <laughs> but it's really funny, like, because I, 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 I know that it's became a kind of like a meme now where you can see he's standing at the window holding the eggnog like this yeah. and the helicopter's out the window behind him and he's like that. And you can see like the eggnog firing at the front. But when I was watching it again the other week, what actually made me laugh was... The cutaway, I think, either a murder or Riggs, can't remember which one it is. And when they cut back the Atkins, he just kind of falls over like somebody's just cut down a tree. He just kind of like <laughs> <laughs> with the eggnog on his hands, and it's just so funny. But I love that scene, and, and I know a lot of like you're saying about picking holes and end up big Swiss cheese and all. But right now, like that that helicopter just raises above them like a phoenix from the flames. And nobody even heard it. Nobody even heard it coming. Nobody even seen it. I mean, I have a lot of questions about how they're operating a helicopter because it comes back later in the desert, too, and it's chasing a limo. I'm like, you know, (laughs) I mean, you have to be a really good helicopter pilot to have it like that low to the ground that you're using like the blades of the helicopter to like try and hit a limousine. I'm like, you know, it's in L.A., so I have no idea where that desert is. I don't know how L.A. works, but it feels like they just left that morning and went to the desert. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I'm just bothered, like, you know, since you were saying about Vietnam and all earlier, so maybe the pilot's a Vietnam pilot. Yeah. <laughs> he served in Nam, and now he's helping out Mr. Joshua and all his guys. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the thing. And Mr. I mean, Mr. Joshua's in the helicopter, and he seems very, he does seem very thorough. He reports right back to his oh, yeah. boss after he misses. He's like, ah, you know, Riggs, uh, he's still alive. He's, like, very disappointed by it. He's right as in. He's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. But Tom Atkins is good in the two scenes. He's uh, overacted a little bit. He's very emotional, which is, you know, I love Tom Atkins. Halloween 3. Yeah. 
Yeah, Tom Atkins is good in this. Yeah, it's a really weird kind of cameo, isn't it? But he's he's good in it. Like, yeah, he plays uh, Michael Hucksacker. His daughter's the one who gets who dies in the opening of the movie, yeah. and that's why I get why he's sad because uh, you know that's pretty upsetting. He's like, I got another daughter, you know, and then like, uh, Riggs, uh, not Riggs, Murtaugh's like selling heroin. You son of a bitch, you got off easy. I'm like he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> That's what I mean. There's just some some great lines in this film and some some great moments. Um, as I say, it's re- it's really good. Like how they bounce off each other. Yeah, I love their dynamic, and I do like their relationship. How it ends up building up, and um, just even with the whole family, and it, it really works. It really is just it, the way it escalates. It it just it works out so perfect. I mean, obviously, it's got a little bit of ridiculous set pieces. The uh, guy, the Asian guy, I always forget his name. He's in Die Hard too. And a bunch of John Carpenter movies, but that scene of him getting electrocuted, being tortured that way—oh yes, horrible. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, and he's he's saying them like, you know, I got out here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill. Isn't that the thing as well? Like, there's so many opportunities to take Riggs and murder out, and they don't do it for whatever reason. He's supposed to be ruthless, like you know. But once Riggs gets out of that, like he takes all prisoners, he breaks that guy's neck. And I always found it really weird. It took me a few watches to kind of understand what was going on here uh maybe it's because it's an action movie and sometimes you just don't switch your brain on but i was like how the hell did they end up in that club and then and then i realized oh it's below the club and then i was like oh that's the club that he owns did you see at the start of the movie where which is another weird kind of torture thing where uh there's a guy that um does he owe the money at the start or is he going to go and work for them and they say they bring mr joshua and he holds a letter under his arm <laughs> he yeah. his arm like, that's just weird. I mean, why do that? Why not just give him a stop your man about a wee bit and just say if you don't do what the hell I guess that's like yeah. to prove how tough he is? I don't, I don't know. I was actually, <laughs> that's very, that's weird as hell, actually. I thought that too, like how they come up under the nightclub. And I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, but they shot somebody at the bar, one of them. And I don't think he was yes. a bad guy. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was one of the barmen or something. Maybe. I don't know, maybe he served him a bad paint one time. I don't know, but I'm like, <laughs> I feel like that guy just doesn't know that they're running a criminal organization underneath the building, and he went to work that day, and he ends up getting shot. <laughs> <laughs> but she just imagine all this is happening. He, Riggs is getting electrocuted, and there's a nightclub up, up the stairs, or above them, strange. It is very strange. I mean, did you notice that Riggs comes running in the room with a body on his shoulder, too? Like, he's just like... <laughs> he's an actor. I know, I... I, and they, as you were saying there about their relationship, I was going to say as well about their relationship too, because you notice the change in their relationship as well. That's what I like about this first one as well. You know, there's kind of like, I mean, if you want to call it an arc, you know, Murder's kind of like at the start, he's so close to retirement, doesn't need any rubbish. You know, he, he actually says when he's in the bath at time, you know, I'm too old for this shit. He just wants an easy life. He's landed with this guy, you know, he's lumped with this guy, and he's like, this guy's going to end up me up in trouble or he's going to get me killed but once he saves his life that's kind of when he starts to understand him a wee bit more or should i say he starts to understand him he, he i would say he he opens his ears more than anything you know he starts to listen to him and that's when he invites him back to the house which is a weird again you know he saved his life and he's right away he's like sure come back around for dinner even though all morning he's been saying you're not kissed don't want you anywhere near me um and i think but that's when the relationship starts to change when he when he brings him home and and um, introduces him to his family, and then when they go outside, and um, he starts helping them with the boat as well. Yeah, I actually really enjoy the moment in the boat. They have a couple beers, and they actually start to get to know each other, and they have a good like back yeah. and forth. Like you know, he's like, oh, he tells him, he's like, oh, so I know that your daughter is not allowed to smoke grass in the house. You know, he's like, I know that your wife cooks bad. Like he's like. You know, like kind of just having a little bit of those bonding moments. Like they do the thing where he throws the beer and then Murtaugh opens the trash can and lands inside. Kind yeah. of just like showing like, eh, okay, they're building this relationship slowly but surely. And then obviously the fact that when Riggs uh, helps Murtaugh after his daughter gets kidnapped. And like you said, like he lays it out for him. He's like, you know, they're going to kill her. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, like, he doesn't even deny it. And that's just because they're both cops. They know how this game works. Mm-hmm. The fact that Riggs is willing to put his neck on the line for him right away. He's like, okay. Yeah, I think from that point they are like their family. Yeah, and and the thing is, well, they're not bullshitting each other either, John. No. That's what I like about it too. I mean, that's it. You can tell they're not being fake with each other. From the from from the outset, murders kind of upfront with his feelings, and Riggs is taking it on the chin. But when when they start actually bonding, it's not kind of like you know, oh, uh, he says to him, "You really like my wife's cooking," and he's like, "Nah." <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, he could easily just went, "Yeah, of course I do." 
you know, and he, you know, and, and I think that Murder knows in. He's being honest with me. He's a, he's a good friend because he's being honest with me because if he was bullshit, he would have thought oh, it was lovely. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he couldn't be he trusted. He would have been like, you lied right to my face. Nobody's ever liked my wife's cooking. <laughs> yeah, you just said that because I invited you back yeah. to, for dinner. Um, so, and then, then there's that moment, of course, at the end of the movie as well, when he comes to the door and he say, gives him the bullet. And what a brilliant moment. He says, give out, is your dad there? Give out to your dad. And then she, she says, come on in. He says, no, I'm okay. And then murder comes straight out and says, come on in. And he's like, uh, he said, "Does he say I was I was waiting to see how long it was before you'd ask or something?" I think he said he was going to leave, and he's like, uh, uh, "Where are you going? You got to come inside. I, I I can't eat the world's worst Christmas dinner alone." And he's like, "Nah." He's like, and then he comes around a little bit. He's like, "Come on!" And then he's like, "Can I bring a friend or a guest or somebody?" And then he lets the dog yeah. come in with him, and they, you know, they right, have a cat, so you hear him fighting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So I, I love that moment at the end, you know what I mean? Because you think when he says no, he's just going to get in his truck and just drive off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then when, he, then when he comes out, he's like, hey, come on in. He's like, okay, well. So I love that moment at the end. Yeah, because by the second one, you know, you can see that, like, he's doing laundry there. Like, he pretty much lives there when he's not at his uh, beachside apartment over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with his dog. Yeah. I wouldn't mind that. People would probably knock it, but eh, it's, it's really it's oceanfront property. <laughs> yeah, it's it's simple simple life, John. Yeah, it's not what doesn't. I mean, I wouldn't be waking up in the morning and the second I get out of bed, drink whatever beer is and finish from the night before and smoke three cigarettes. But you know, to each their own. <laughs> Somehow, I think that if this was actually based on real life, you know, Martin Riggs would look more like uh, Ackard from uh, Batman. Sorry, Knox. These two slipped on a banana peel. Oh, uh, yeah. That he would, Mel Gibson. Mel if Gibson. that was the lifestyle he was leading. Movies like Lethal Weapon have misled me my entire life. Because I thought that you could just get by and look that good forever. I found yeah. out the hard way. That's not true at all. <laughs> you gotta no, it's, it, it. it's not. I, I just don't believe that a man that's not looking after himself and gets out of beer and drinks a beer for breakfast has the body of Mel Gibson in 1987. No, it's not true at all. They lied to us. When I heard Hugh Jackman say the way he looks that cut for Wolverine is because he doesn't eat or drink for three days. He literally dehydrates his body. I'm like, okay, that makes more sense than what they were telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, Hugh Jackman's probably didn't tell people he was pumping iron as well. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. but, he, but he doesn't eat and drink for a few days, you know, his skin shrinks and it shows the muscles coming through. So you have to have them in the first place. Yeah, you, well, you have to be there. You got to definitely put in the work, and who knows, maybe throw some HGH in there or something to really help guide it along. But the regular person going to the gym for an hour a day, and he's these are cops. How often are they going to the gym? Are not going to look like that. No, they're they're not worn out. They're not going to the gym every night after pulling a twelve hour shift where they're sitting in the car and eating donuts and drinking coffee. It's just not happening. Well, there was a scene where he was eating a hot dog, you know, which is fine. You know, people can eat hot dogs, but I just kind of thought, yeah, that's probably more realistic. There. Yeah, it's just you're just not going to look that cut up, and they make sure to show us Martin Riggs's body numerous times throughout the movie we're introduced to him naked like yeah they wanted to show us what he was doing that's right and, and obviously that one of my favorite um comedies um which is a party of this is loaded weapon oh loaded weapon is fantastic yeah with Emil west of and uh samuel l jackson mm -hmm. and there's a scene obviously where Emil west of gets with a woman and he, he gets out of the bed and she says where are you going he goes nothing i'm just going for one of those meaningless uh, walk naked in the moonlight shots, <laughs> and he's like walking down, walking down to <laughs> the bedroom. Uh, and, and, and it actually that happens as well in Basic Instinct too. I think Michael oh, Douglas yeah. has one of those scenes too. <laughs> so I think Michael Douglas has like three of those scenes actually throughout the movies. <laughs> if I'm pretty sure, I, I've seen Michael Douglas naked a lot. Like he's very willing too, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> too much, John. You've seen him naked, yeah. naked too much more yeah, than what you've wanted to. Yeah, where like you want to see Sharon Stone instead? I, that's who I'm there for. I'm not there for Michael Douglas. <laughs> like, but you know what? I guess it's not just for me. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> that's, that's true. It's like the second one, sick Patsy Kansas. Yes, Mel Gibson. No, no, not for me. You know, uh, definitely glad we didn't have to see Murtaugh. <laughs> just Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe it. He's in the bath at the start. You know what I mean? And like for a man that's turning fifty, 
I mean, he's in good shape. Oh, he's in phenomenal shape. And I actually wish he would have kept that beard. And the other guy in the office said that, you know, you should have kept the beard because he just gets the mustache after that. I like it when he has the full beard. Yeah. The mustache is very, uh, very 80s. Oh, yeah. And very cop 80s. And the clothes he wears yes. is just so much like a, a rundown cop. Like, it's like a very worked in, beat down suit. You know, Riggs yeah. dresses like a... Like, he's not even, like, an undercover cop would dress. He's just wearing a hat, yeah. a jacket, and jeans. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the things as well really stands out in this movie as well, is the contrasting of the clothes. And, and I think there's no more so when they actually pull up to the house where they see the girls that are that are cutting the drugs. And uh, they shoot the guy in the leg, and, you know, he ends, ends up in the pool. But, um, yeah, you just notice that contrast of these two guys, because they don't even, they don't even realize, the person that lets them in doesn't even realize they're cops. No, because you wouldn't think it. They just the car they're driving, maybe. But if you're looking at Riggs, you're like, "Well, that's not a cop. Why would you think that?" <laughs> yeah, probably think he's a he's a drug dealer. Yeah, well, the guys in the beginning thought he was a drug dealer. Like they're for sure, they didn't even believe it when he <laughs> yeah. pulls out the badge. It's like this badge is fake because it's like no way that's this guy. <laughs> I, I laugh at that too because it is a real badge within the context of the movie. And they're like, "That's not a, he's not a cop. That's not even a real badge." And he's like. I am a real cop. That is a real badge, and this is a real gun. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. Now that's a real badge. I'm a real cop, and this is a real fucking gun. Because also, that's the only time in the movie you can actually hear Mel Gibson's uh, Australian accent come out when he says, "Then this is yeah. a real fucking gun." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do, do you know what? There's a few times actually. I think John in this movie that his Australian accent slips out a few times throughout the movie. You know, it's almost as good as uh, his uh, Scottish accent. Oh, yeah. He's in and out of that. <laughs> but I like he is, drawing. yeah. Uh, have you ever seen Robin Hood Men in Tights with uh, Kev- uh, Kevin Costner? Not Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, the other one that he did with Kevin Costner. Oh, Prince of, Prince of Thieves? Yeah. That. Men, does... Men in Tights was the spoof. Um, I haven't seen that movie in many, many years. Oh, I've seen Probably it. since I was a kid. I think I've seen it once when I was a kid in one sense. And Kevin Costner in that movie... Um, he bounces between about four accents. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to I have to say it's like myself when I watch movies like um, what's the one Brad Pitt does? He plays oh. some supposedly from Belfast. Oh my uh, god, is it, he, he's got the Cockney the, accent and um. No, that's that's snatch. He does the Cockney accent, but he does one where he he plays um an IRA man. Uh, it's either the devil's own or the devil's advocate. I can't remember which is which. Which is the one with Al Pacino and the devil? Devil's ad. That's the devil's advocate. That's uh... well. There's one called yeah. There's one called the devil's own, where um, it's Harrison Ford and it's Brad Pitt, and he plays a Belfast man, and his accent is like one minute he's from sounds like he's from the north, next minute he sounds like he's from the south. It's just all over the place. <laughs> it's hard for me to listen to. <laughs> Yeah, that's got to be cringy for you. Like, you just get somebody who's Irish at that point to do the accent. <laughs> yeah, well, they probably couldn't have sold it then. You know, you got some great, great actors like Brad Pitt and Harrison Ford. And maybe a little Harrison Ford's playing an American, but yeah. yeah. Well, Harrison Ford, I've, I, he did a submarine movie where he does a Russian accent, and that was pretty damn bad awful. <laughs> like, like, so sometimes some people do accents great, and then there's other actors who it's just like, Oh my god, that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I know I know we went off topic here, just talking about accents, but I know that Brad Pitt apparently was over here, and he asked the um to try and get the accent down as well. But I mean, a lot of people have said like the the accent he does for Snatch, that's more of a um southern accent. It's it's a, more of a gypsy accent, and a lot of people have actually said how well he done with that accent. I thought he did so, a great job with that. I love Snatch. Yeah, Ah, you look like a boxer. Yeah, I haven't seen Snatch in so long. Oh, no, Snatch is, that's a great movie. That movie moves along so, so well. I mean, I like Guy Ritchie's movies anyways. I don't know if you've ever seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels or The Gentleman. Both great. You know what? I haven't seen Lockstock, and I really should have because that was the one that really put him on the map. And then Snatch, I'm not sure if he made Snatch. I know he made it after, but I don't know if if that was his direct follow-up. Yeah, I'd need to watch Lockstock at some stage. Yeah. If you watch Lockstock, just make sure you put subtitles on because it's a little bit hard to understand because they have really thick Cockney accents throughout that entire movie. <laughs> yeah, though, listen, we, there's a show here over here well, on British television. It's called EastEnders, and they're all Cockneys, and um, I can understand them okay. I've, I've actually been to the East End of London as well, so I can understand them all right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I had a hard time. I put the subtitles, but once I put the subtitles on, it's like my brain kind of like started to understand it a little better. <laughs> like it started to actually yeah. be able to like learn it. I was like, okay, I get it. It's just an accent, and really, because they're saying it, it's just the tone that they're saying it in. And if you watch that and then watch Brad Pitt, you're like, okay, he did a pretty decent job. But he's just his face. You're like, it's still fucking Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I know it's still Brad Pitt. He does a really good job. But Brad Pitt's actually playing like an, an Irish traveler, um, and, and snatch. Whereas, like, the other guys, the likes of, uh, what do you call him, he's in the make, Jason Stratham and stuff, Stratham, he, Stratham, yeah, whereas he's, they're doing the Cockney accents, yeah, they're, they're the Londoners, yeah. I love Jason Statham in that movie, too, because he plays, like, he kind of is, like, the straight man in that, and he does that very well. <laughs> yeah, do you know what, it's been so long since I've seen that movie, it's been many years, um, I only remember we bits and pieces of it, but it is, it's very good. Yeah, I, I draw and recommend that movie to everyone, and, and everyone I recommend to it, uh, I told Faith, I told Matt, they all hated it, so I don't understand why. <laughs> oh, it's been, it's been so long, mate. Do you know what? It's one of those ones where if I go back now and watch it, I'm kind of sitting thinking, will they enjoy it as much? Do you know what I mean? Oh, but, I um, happened. There's movies that I watched when I was a kid that I will just not go back to because I'm afraid that I'm going to ruin it by watching it as an adult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then I, I think to myself, is it just kind of like a fad at the time? Because, I, you know, I knew a lot of people loved that movie when it first came out, you know, and then you go back years later, so you're afraid to go back and watch it again. Yeah, that's a lot of, like, war, of movies that win awards. Like, I feel like you go back to them, you're like, how the hell did this win Best Picture? Like, sometimes that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and like you just said about the fast pace as well of stats. Um, obviously, it's it, the way it is done in the direction and the editing and things like that. Guy Ritchie to me always came across as like a, trying to be a British Tarantino. But um, yeah. I, 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 I have to say that the, the pace of Lethal Weapon 1 as well absolutely flies by. I mean, by the time you get to the climax of this movie, it's like, how quick did that go by? Oh yeah, no, it's ridiculous how fast this movie is. Like, it, and it, and it, you never waste a moment. From the very beginning, they tell us everything we need to know, everything that, uh, yeah. about these characters. Like, they set them both. They give them their individual scenes to set them up. Then they're teamed up, and then from that point on, we can develop their relationship all over the course of just about an hour and a half. It's really that's one thing that in modern day we don't have is a good editor. They just put too much yeah, fire in. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of those things I'm worried as well, as well, John, about modern movies too. Not that I watch too many modern movies. The fact that you can't do anything now with the camera with because of digital and because of um, CGI, the art of editing to me is starting to become a lost art. And, and what you can do in the edit is, is very special. I mean, when you look at some of the best movies of all time, they've always had great editors. Editing is a very like it's becoming like a lost tool. The amount you can do with yeah. good editing, come on guys, out of here. The amount you can do with good editing is it, it could save a film. They always say that like George Lucas had Star Wars saved because of editing, not because of how well of a film he made, but because his wife was able to edit the film that well. It's a, it's yeah. a very important thing. Like yes, because you filmed a scene doesn't mean that that scene fits in the overall product at the very end of it. It's just you know a good editor can find that and they can tell you that. I just think that editing as a tool to tell a story. Like Alfred Hitchcock, I'm trying to think now because I'm trying to paraphrase here. Just of it is, is that there's a, a woman walking down the street with a with a low cut, you know, or a short skirt on. Cut to an old man. He smiles. Cut back to the woman. He's a dirty old man, yeah. right? Okay. Switch out the woman with a short skirt to a woman with a pram and a baby in it. Still have the same shot of the old man with the same smile on his face. He's no longer a dirty old man. He's he's a he's a he's a he's a nice older gentleman smiling, seeing a baby, and it totally changes your perception mm-hmm. of what you've just seen. It takes changes your perception of the old man. That when you think about Hitchcock and your use of editing, I, I think that that's basically what's being lost as well. Uh, when you can just do whatever you want. Yeah, they give these guys carte blanche, and they don't, I, carte blanche, and I don't think that people realize that. You know, when you give people everything, it's always good to have a filter and have somebody to bounce ideas off of to make sure that you're not, you're not going too crazy with your own ideas and your own ambition. And now it's like, go make your own four-hour cut of this movie, you know, and put everything you want into it. And it's like, okay, that's good, but, you know, you when the viewer watches the movie and you just go, that scene was completely useless, but, you know, they wanted to put it in there for their own amusement. It's just like, you know, you can yeah. make a good 90 to two-hour movie. Yeah. Like it can be done. It's been done. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in the line in the movie Major yep. League. Like so, winning streak. It has happened before. <laughs>
Yeah, and 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 look, you know, the technology is a brilliant thing, and 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 obviously, um, I know there's a lot of directors, you know, don't want to use film anymore, and and because it's too expensive and all the rest. Um, I understand that, but I think it's sometimes you maybe just still need to apply the same principles to things because, you know, it was back in the day, it was kind of like, you know, you were against time, you were against budget, and it was kind of like like you say, or John, do we really need this scene? Do we really need to film this, or we can't film this because it's too expensive? So we'll do it this way. And now it's just kind of like, as you say, you can just do whatever you want and things become bloated. And sometimes I think uh, certain projects and films become self-indulgent to the point where that turns the audience off. I mean, I know that's how I feel about a lot of modern films anyway. Yeah, I mean, I watch a lot of modern film and a lot of old film. And every time I watch an old film like Lethal Weapon, it's amazing how much more I enjoy that movie than most movies I see throughout the year. Like I could watch 100 to 200 2023 films and maybe one or two throughout the entire year. Like, Oppenheimer is a movie that I will watch for the rest of my life. But the rest of them, you know, some like, there's going to be some I'll watch over and over, but most of them are just gone from my, after I've seen them. They're one and done. Yeah. Like, very forgettable. But go back to 1987, you know, it's the same year as RoboCop. Like, there's so many classic movies that came from Predator. Year. Yeah, Predator. You know, like, there's so much just from that one year that are considered all-time greats, whereas, like, in you know, think back to 2020 or 2021. Can you pull a movie off the top of your head, like right now, that was like a classic film already? Like, uh, it's just not too many. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I say, I, it has to be something special for me to go out of my way to go and watch it. You know, and even go to a cinema now. I mean, I go to a cinema uh, now with my daughter more than anything. Um, bring her to see movies. Um, for something I want to see. I'll wait for it to come to streaming. Well, I don't really stream or maybe I'll pick it up a bad Blu-ray or something. That's it. I really want to see it. But it just shows you, as you say, the power of Lethal Weapon. This isn't nostalgia for me. This isn't a movie that I seen when I was 12 or 13, you know, back in the early 90s or something. And, and I've just continued to watch it. Um, I didn't, as I've said earlier in the, in the podcast, I didn't see this movie about five or six years ago. So, and th- this is the impact that's had on me. It's one of my favorite I would say it's probably one of my favorite movies. You know what I mean? And it's definitely one of my Christmas movies I watch every single year. So that's the impact that um, Lethal Weapon has had on me. Um, and it's 80, 80, as you say, it came out in 1987. I agree right there with you on that. It's one of my favorite movies ever as well. I've seen this movie well over 100 times. We'll see it over 100 times more. Um, I've already watched it twice this Christmas season. Uh, I kind of think I got one more in me because <laughs> I just I love it. But, you know, if you're comparing it to Die Hard, you know, most people are going to pick Die Hard. Me and you will pick Lethal Weapon every time. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, but I think that's the best way to end this. That's going to do it here, guys, for another episode of the Let's Talk podcast with David and I, a.k.a. Shamrock Balls. And we will be back for another episode in a few short weeks. So make sure you guys like, share and subscribe and tell all your friends.